the best way we can uh, be motivated uh, and the best way we can be motivated to spur on one another is through Jesus' words. And here we are again for half an hour or so uh, under the authority of Jesus' words, him speaking to us. So let's pray that we will hear and respond to what he says. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how the Spirit applies that word to our hearts. And Lord, our prayer this morning to echo the response of Bartimaeus, the Lord Jesus said to him, what can I do for you? And he said, I want to see. I want to see and understand. And may that be a prayer that perhaps Many of us throughout this sermon pray quietly in our hearts, Lord Jesus, I want to see. I want to see. Help me to see. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now today we come to the end of a major section in Mark's gospel. The section is from chapter 8, verse 31, through to chapter 10, verse 52. Mark's theme in that section has been following Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And the section concludes with the account of the healing of blind Bartimaeus, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And that's our focus today. And in Mark's gospel, in Mark's account of the life and the teaching of Jesus, it is the last miracle Jesus performs before his death and resurrection. Now, the cursing and withering of the fig tree in chapter 11 could be taken as a miracle, but certainly in terms of healing miracles, in Mark's account, giving Bartimaeus his sight is the last miracle Jesus performs. Now, I want to take just a little time out here and ask and respond to an important question. Maybe you've been listening in and you're not a Christian. Here's the question, what, why does Jesus perform miracles? Why does he perform miracles? Well, one reason is out of compassion. On at least two occasions in Mark's gospel, compassion is expressly identified as the reason. Compassion, yes, but that is not the main reason Jesus performed miracles. There are three main reasons. Let me explain them to you. Reason number one, Jesus' miracles reveal his identity. His miracles reveal his identity. Back in Mark chapter 4, in the first of a series of miracles Mark records, the question asked by the disciples that becomes a refrain through the rest of the gospel, who is this? Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this man that casts out evil spirits? Who is this man that cures incurable illness? And who is this man that raises a child from death to life? Now the answer is that this man Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed king, the eternal son of God. That's who Jesus is. And the miracles Jesus performed is the evidence that reveals his identity. And that's why Mark records Jesus' miracles in his gospel. These eyewitness accounts of Jesus' miracles are powerful, 
persuasive evidence of who Jesus is. He is God's Messiah, God's King, the eternal Son of God. Now, reason number two that Jesus performed miracles, to establish his authority. In particular, his authority to forgive sins. The accounts in Mark chapter 2 of the paralyzed man lowered through the roof to the feet of Jesus. Faced with the man's desperate physical problem and need, Jesus saw a deeper problem and a deeper need, the forgiveness of his sins. So Jesus said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, Jesus' authority to forgive sins was questioned And so he healed the man physically in order to establish his authority to forgive sins. Listen to Jesus' own words recorded by Mark back in chapter 2. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus' miracles establish his authority. Now, the third reason Jesus performed miracles was to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen to these words from earlier in Mark about how Jesus begins his public ministry. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is the long-promised eternal kingdom of God ruled by God's eternal king. Jesus is that king. And with his coming to earth, the eternal kingdom of God has broken into this fallen world, a world of suffering and death. The prophet Isaiah spoke of a coming day of messianic power, the beginning of a messianic age when, I quote, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the mute tongues shout for joy. That day came when Jesus came. And Jesus' miracles attest to the fact that with him the kingdom of God has broken into our world. But there is a now and a not yet dimension to the kingdom of God. Jesus and the apostles in their writing make this absolutely clear. The now, the time we are living in of the kingdom of God, is the time to repent and believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. The not yet is the new creation where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And Jesus' healing miracles, when he lived on the earth, demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God has broken into this world, but they give us a sight, a glimpse of what the not yet dimension of the kingdom of God will be like in the new creation a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more cancer or coronavirus or strokes or dementia or death. And that is not yet 
but it will be. And here recorded for us in Mark's gospel, in the miracles Jesus performed like opening the eyes of the blind is a sight of what the new creation will be like. But that is not yet. It will be, but it is not yet. Not until the gospel goes to the ends of the earth and humanity has the opportunity to repent and believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, these are the three main reasons Jesus performed miracles. To reveal his identity, to establish his authority, and to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the final miracle in Mark's gospel, Jesus' healing of blind Bartimaeus, is evidence, yes, for each of these things. Should we expect miracles like this today? Well, there are occasions when God performs miracles still. For example, when people are miraculously healed. But it should not be our normal expectation. Jesus said that repeatedly. The apostles said that repeatedly. And the reason for that is that the priority for now in the kingdom of God is to repent and believe in the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. So why does Jesus perform miracles? That's an important question, and I hope that answer has helped you perhaps if you uh, have been asking that question. Now I want to ask a slightly different question. Why does Mark, the writer of the gospel, include this miracle at this point in his narrative? Remember, Mark is writing under the inspiration of Jesus. So why does Mark include this miracle, the healing of blind Bartimaeus, at this point in his narrative? Now, reflecting on the range of miracles Mark includes in his gospel as a whole, the answer to that question will often be to reveal Jesus' identity or to establish his authority or to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand. But what about this particular miracle, the healing of blind Bartimaeus? Why does Mark include it here? Now, when we read it, and uh, Sheila read a couple of passages to, to help us with this. When you read Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, the healing of blind Bartimaeus, Mark's intention as a writer is to recall in our minds or to ring a bell, to bring back into our minds a very similar miracle from earlier in the gospel. Now turn back in your Bibles to chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. Chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. And Sheila read this earlier account, as well as the healing of Bartimaeus. Let's read the earlier account again. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see people 
but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Now that's the miracle account, the earlier miracle account, where Jesus miraculously enables a blind man to see. Now notice what immediately follows then in Mark's narrative, verses 27 to 30 of chapter 8. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, here's a great question. Maybe Jesus is asking you that question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, let me, let me try and show you what's going on in that earlier miracle. Jesus miraculously enables a blind man to see. And then Jesus miraculously enables Peter to see who he is that he is the Christ, the Messiah. That's the point Mark is making, that it takes a miracle from Jesus, a miracle of revelation for Peter, indeed any of us, to understand who Jesus is. Now, question, am I reading too much into this? I don't think so, hand on heart. I think this is exactly the point Mark is making. All through the first half of his gospel, Mark has recorded the evidence, ample evidence, lots of evidence. The disciples, like Peter, saw with their eyes. They were eyewitnesses of the miracles, the teaching of Jesus. And the conclusion at the end of all of that evidence, just uh, you can see it there, Mark 8, verse 21. Jesus said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet see and understand? The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is the Messiah, God's King, but they can't see it because it will take a miracle for them to understand. That's the impasse. Chapter 8, verse 21. Do you not yet understand? And that is followed in Mark's narrative by a miracle of revelation when a blind man is unable to see followed by Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And that understanding came to Peter through a miracle from God to open his eyes and mind to understand. That's what Mark is saying. Now, Matthew, written after Mark and based largely on Mark's gospel, makes the point in another way. Let me read to you the uh, parallel verse in Matthew. Uh, Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. It's exactly the same point made in a different way. You haven't come to understand by any human means. It takes a miracle from God. And that principle is consistent with the rest of the New Testament. It takes a miracle from God to see who Jesus is. Now, if that earlier miracle of a blind man being given sight is included in Mark to make the point that Peter's understanding who Jesus is 
is through a miracle of revelation. Then what about blind Bartimaeus in chapter 10, 46 to 52, being given his sight? Surely Mark is making the same point. Jesus enables Bartimaeus to see physically. But Bartimaeus also clearly understands who Jesus is. Twice he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is just another title for Messiah or the Christ, God's anointed king. Bartimaeus sees who Jesus is. He understands. How does he see? How does he come to understand who Jesus is? Through a miracle of revelation from God. Now, I really think that's what Mark is teaching us. I hope you're persuaded. I hope you are. It always takes a miracle from God to enable us to see. And that's borne out in my experience as a Christian minister. What is it? Why is it that that particular Sunday or that particular one-on-one, after perhaps many years or many, many questions, somebody is moved to turn to Jesus for their salvation? Because God has opened their eyes. Now, I do think that's what Mark is teaching us. I hope you're persuaded. Now, you may have already noticed or noted that the two miracles, the earlier one when Jesus healed the blind man at Bethsaida and the later one when Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus in Jericho, that these two miracles, very similar miracles, bracket the section we've been looking at in Mark's gospel. Remember the section 831 to 1052 is all about following Jesus. And immediately before that section begins, Mark includes the healing of the blind man and Peter coming to understand Jesus is the Messiah. And at the end of the section, Mark includes the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And like Peter, Bartimaeus understands that Jesus is the Messiah. So you've got a miracle of revelation at the beginning, opening Peter's eyes to see who Jesus is, followed by a big chunk of teaching on what it means to follow Jesus. And at the end of that section, you've got a parallel miracle when Jesus opens a blind man's eyes to see. Now, what are the differences between the two miracle accounts? Let me highlight the obvious differences. Well, with the first miracle, it takes two touches from Jesus to heal the blind man. At first, he sees in part, what does he say? I see people walking around and they look like trees walking. I think that's a wonderfully authentic description of what someone would say. Only after a second touch from Jesus does the man in the earlier miracle see clearly it's a two-stage or two-step healing. Now, with a second miracle, Bartimaeus, he recovers his sight in one go. Mark emphasizes that in his text, chapter 10, verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And here's Mark's word, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. That's a one obvious difference. Uh, second obvious difference, with the first miracle, Jesus goes out of his way to ensure the man keeps quiet. 
that the man does not tell anyone what has happened. So chapter 8, verse 26, and Jesus sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Don't go into the village. Don't tell anyone. And immediately following this in Mark's text, after Peter's answer that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, chapter 8, verse 30, strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Don't tell anyone else what you have discovered, that I am the Messiah. That seems a bit strange. And with the second miracle, there is no injunction to go home, not to speak to anyone. There is no injunction to silence. Instead, Bartimaeus follows Jesus. So there are clear differences between the two miracle accounts at either end of our section. There's something more that Bartimaeus has grasped. That's Mark's point in his narrative. There's clearer sight, clearer understanding. Now, what is the content, the theme of the section from 831 to 1052? Well, we know it's following Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Now, if I could summarize the content of 831 to 1052, just in two very simple principles, there are two vital things for following Jesus, two vital things that every follower of Jesus must embrace. First, so importantly, that the Messiah, Jesus, must die so that our sins can be forgiven. Every follower of Jesus must come to terms with their need of forgiveness and the necessity of Jesus' death. Every follower of Jesus must come to him humbly and ask for mercy. That's the first thing that every follower of Jesus must embrace. To accept Jesus must die for us and cry out to him for mercy. And the second thing that every follower of Jesus must embrace and that is taught in Mark 8, 9, and 10 is that their life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, like Christ's life on earth, is to be one of serving and suffering. So Mark 8 to 10 has taught us that to be a follower of Jesus, I need to understand that Jesus must die for me so that my sins are forgiven and that issues in my heart turning to Jesus and saying, have mercy on me. And as a follower of Jesus, I must come to terms with the fact as I study these chapters 8, 9, and 10, Jesus, I will follow you on the way or on the road that is marked out by serving and suffering. That is what following Jesus or discipleship is in a nutshell. Have mercy on me, Jesus, and I will follow you on the road of serving and suffering. And Peter earlier, chapter 8, was just not at that point and that depth of understanding. He had come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Messiah. I mean, that's a noble confession. It's great. 
but there is more God needs to reveal to him before he can speak of Jesus. His understanding is only partial. He doesn't yet see fully or clearly. And it's clear from Mark's narrative as it progresses in chapters 8 to 10 that Peter has more to understand. Just look at chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said, I must suffer and die before being raised from the dead. And Peter 8.32 said, no, you don't. Stronger than that, he rebuked Jesus. Jesus said to him, 8.33, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Satan is still blinding Peter from seeing the truth, from seeing clearly. Peter is thinking in human or worldly terms. Jesus then immediately outlines what it means to follow him. 8.34, calling the crowd to him, he said to them, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. To all who would follow Jesus, the call is to service, let him deny self, and to suffering, take up his cross. Now, as the narrative progresses, Peter is not alone among the disciples in his lack of understanding. Jesus teaches them about what following him looks like practically. So, for example, in chapter 9, verses 33 to 37, they were arguing about who was the greatest. Jesus sat them down and he said, if anyone would be first, he must be the last and the servant of all. Or just jump on a bit, chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Johnny read this, always encouraging when the person leading reads the same bit. Uh, chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the kids come to me. Do not hinder them, for as such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, now of course children are welcome in the kingdom of God if they believe and understand who Jesus is. But the point Jesus is making here is that you must come to me like a child. Offering nothing other than dependence. Jesus calls all to follow him to be like children, total dependent. Then that tragic account of the rich young man who would not do that. He would not give up his money, his rights and privileges for Jesus. He was loved and lost. He came so close to faith, to inheriting eternal life, but tragically walked away. Two weeks ago on Sunday morning, someone listening to that passage preached did not walk away and gave their life to Christ. Maybe you are there. Don't walk away. Then James and John that we looked at last week, they wanted status. Just read with me from verse 42 of chapter 10. Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves at the end of the section with Bartimaeus. And when he first cries out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, that just means Messiah, 
have mercy on me. What is the reaction of many people, the crowd, and I expect some of the disciples? Verse 48, do you recognize this? Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Earlier, the disciples had rebuked the children from coming to Jesus or those who brought them. Now they rebuke the blind beggar. Don't bother Jesus. He's not interested in you. Yes, he is. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God and to Bartimaeus. Jesus stopped in his tracks and said, Call him. Call him. Jesus calls Bartimaeus to be his disciple. He is presented to us in Mark's gospel as the model disciple at this point, not Peter, who would not accept that Jesus had to die for him. Not James and John, who wanted at this stage to be served, not to serve. Now, you would have picked out Peter, James, and John, and they did come through in the end. But we would not pick out the blind beggar, nor Levi, the tax collector from Mark 2, nor the demon-possessed man Jesus healed in 5, 1 to 20, who became the first missionary to the Gentiles in history, or the poor widow who gave all she had in Mark 12, or the unnamed woman who did what she could for Jesus, Mark 14, or the Roman centurion who is given a high point in Mark's gospel when he looked at the dying Christ and said, surely this man was the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, we must never presume to know who can be or cannot be a follower of Jesus. The Lord Jesus will not change his gospel for anyone Now, that's challenging. And here's the wonderful other side of that coin. The Lord Jesus will not exclude anyone who comes with a genuine humility. Now, remember the two things about following Jesus, two vital things that every follower of Jesus must embrace. First, that Jesus, the Messiah, must die so your sins can be forgiven. Second, every follower of Jesus must commit to a life of service and suffering. And in Mark's narrative at this point, at least in his gospel, Bartimaeus is that person. What does Bartimaeus cry out to Jesus? Jesus, son of David. Isn't that the same as Peter who said, you are the Messiah? Same word. What else does Bartimaeus say? Have mercy on me. He understands who Jesus is, the son of David, the Messiah. But more than that, he cries out to Jesus for mercy. That's what it means to become a follower of Jesus. To understand that Jesus, the Messiah, must die so we can be forgiven. And to cry out to him, have mercy on me. And moreover, he is committed to following Jesus in a life of service and suffering for Jesus' sake. That is signaled in Mark's text by the words, he followed them on the way. Remember Mark 8, 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny self and take up his cross and follow me. Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way, on the road. What is that way? It is the way of the cross. 
Just look at what comes next in Mark chapter 11. The road to Jerusalem, the road to Calvary, the road to the cross. Jesus knows where he is going. And Bartimaeus knows where Jesus is going. And Bartimaeus will follow him on that road. Have mercy on me, Jesus. And I will follow you in a life of suffering service. Now, that's us come uh, very nearly to the end. I want to leave you uh, with one application and some homework to do. The key application from the text, Jesus asks Bartimaeus a very important question. It's there in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Now, in the immediately preceding episode, he asked James and John exactly the same question. Verse 36 of chapter 10, what do you want me to do for you? Their answer, we want the best seats in glory. Contrast that with Bartimaeus, verse 51. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. I want to understand. What a striking question from the Lord Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? What a striking answer. Words that leap out from this text. I want to see. He wanted to see physically, yes, and Jesus opens his eyes physically. But in Mark's narrative, as we've seen, his statement speaks to us about spiritual understanding. I want to see and understand all about you, Jesus. I want to understand who you are, Jesus, and what it means to follow you, because it takes a miracle from God to understand who Jesus is. Now, maybe you've been listening. I know some of you are and have been. You are intrigued, but you don't yet see clearly enough to follow Jesus. And I and others have engaged with you in endless conversations. Some of you, I think, want to see, but you cannot see. You wish you could. Have you ever stopped and quietly prayed to God? I want to see. Jesus, will you open my eyes? Will you help me to see clearly who you are, Jesus, why you died? Why you needed to die for me, what I must do, how I can follow you? What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. And maybe very quickly, if you pray that, you will come to repeat these other words of Bartimaeus. Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. But my last word and homework is for the Christians and the Chalmers Church family. We have navigated our way through Mark 8, 9, and 10. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about denying self and being willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It's about ridding us of rivalry putting others down. It's about taking sin seriously. It's about being committed to marriage. It's about devotion to Jesus, simple childlike trust. 
It's about being willing to give up anything for him and not account the cost. It's about believing his promises. It's about being the very last and the servant of all. And I want us as a church family, and I want to commend this to you as I do to myself, to listen to Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you, and contemplate whether the right answer is, please, Jesus, help me to see and understand. Help me to see and understand what it really looks like to be a follower of you. Help me to see and understand my sinfulness. Help me to see and understand that my heart is one of ambition. Show me. Show me how I can change. Show me how I can be a true follower of you. One who lives their life. Like blind Bartimaeus in Mark's text. Ever thankful for the mercy Jesus has extended to me and ever committed, spurred on to follow Jesus on that road or that way of serving and suffering. Now, that's all I can do in 36 minutes. You'll be glad we got to the end. I want to encourage you to to follow up on this, maybe to listen to some of the sermons again with that question ringing in your minds. What do you want me to do for you? Lord Jesus, I want you to help me see and understand. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this extraordinary account of this man, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. We pray, Lord, for anyone listening who is on the threshold of salvation, of saving faith in Jesus, who might be praying, Lord Jesus, I want to see. We pray that with them. Lord Jesus, enable them to see. Open their eyes. And so may they be able to cry, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. To those of us who are Christians, we pray that we would consider all that the Lord Jesus has taught about following him. And in humility, come to him and echo Bartimaeus' words, Lord Jesus, I want to see, I want to understand what following you means, really, truly means. And may it be to your glory, to the unity and blessing of this church family, and to the extension of the kingdom of God that is now at hand. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.